On today's episode of the John Campion Show podcast, Ezra Miller will be attending the premiere of The Flash, but will not be allowed to speak to reporters. The Actors Guild's SAG union is now in negotiations with the studios, but the studios and the union have agreed to have a media blackout, and neither side will talk to the media while negotiations are going on. Is the Miles Morales film animated series coming to an end after Beyond the Spider-Verse? Lord and Miller are suggesting that they are. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is opening up here soon and the opening weekend projections are actually quite low. Also, we asked the question, should film critics be bringing up and talking about the Ezra Miller issues while reviewing the movie The Flash? That and a whole bunch more of the John Campion Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show on the planet Earth, the John Campion Show podcast, coming from right here in our little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campion, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but giving you some information and context so you can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. I'm joined in studio today by Ray Ora. Hey, hey. Over here is Jonathan Voiko. Good morning. Chris Carr is here. Hey, y'all. And most importantly, you guys are here, and here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to start off by talking about those predetermined topics that we just mentioned, and then in the last part of the show, we're going to take questions from our YouTube channel members. For those of you listening to the podcast, we have a YouTube channel, and on that channel, we have some wonderful supportive channel members. And every day, we ask them to send in some topics and questions, and we address those in the last part of the show. All right. With that all down, guys, let's get the ball rolling here with this. Made a video about this a little bit earlier today. But, you know, we've known for a while that Ezra Miller is a bit of a problem. In general, and also a problem for Warner Brothers and a problem specifically for this Flash film, because Ezra is the star of the Flash film, the main actor, of course. And uh, we don't have time to go through the whole laundry list again of all the idiotic, stupid things Ezra has done over the past uh, couple of years to the point that this film now has to come out without having the main star do any press. And that's not helpful. That's not helpful. Now. I have seen The Flash. I think it's a fabulous movie. And giving credit where it's due, Ezra Miller does great in the movie, which I had no doubt that Ezra would. Ezra is really, really good in the movie. Does not take away from the fact that I don't believe Ezra should ever be allowed to play The Flash again, nor does it take away from the fact that Ezra has been very problematic and an embarrassment for this project. So Ezra's done no press. And we speculated, oh, about six months ago on our show, I said, I don't think Ezra will be allowed to do any press. And I kind of think Ezra will probably show up at the premiere because it's too embarrassing if the star doesn't show up. But when they do show up at the premiere, they won't be able to talk to the press. Well, Variety and Entertainment Tonight have now confirmed that Ezra Miller will indeed be at the premiere for The Flash, which I believe happens on June 12th. I think that's when the premiere happens. But unsurprisingly, they will not be allowed to speak to press. They will walk down the red carpet. The press will be able to take photos, but the press will not be able to ask Ezra 
any questions. And Chris, when, I, when we were talking about this earlier today on the standalone video we did, mm -hmm. one of the things I mentioned was, obviously, the first question, if they did put Ezra in front of the press to ask questions, the press ain't going to ask, what was it like working with Michael Keaton? The press weren't going to ask, how did it feel after nearly 10 years of trying to get this movie out to finally have this movie out? No. Their questions is going to be about bullets and babies and parents accusing you of grooming their underage kid mm -hmm. and, you know, having really cold hands at a Finland nightclub and trying to warm them up on a girl's throat. And those are the questions that they'd be asking and completely take away from that. So it's not surprising. Now, I also proposed, and I want to know what you think about this, mm -hmm. that, you know, I've already heard some people asking, well, why not just have Ezra skip the premiere? I said that would be even more problematic because yeah. then that's the story. The story isn't the premiere of The Flash. The story is Star couldn't even go to the premiere. So I actually think Warner Brothers' PR department is probably handling this the right way. You got to have Ezra Miller there, but you cannot let Ezra Miller open their mouth. Um, it's a terrible situation for them, for Warner Brothers and the movie, but I think they're probably handling it the best way they can. You yeah. heard about this story how do you think they're handling it? It really is a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. It really, really is. And I feel like this is probably the best option because you're totally right. If Ezra Miller is not present at the film that Ezra Miller is the lead of two times over, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a big glaring red flag of, oh, our star's not here? Okay. Now, having Ezra speak to the press, that's a whole other can of worms. You can always do this, too. It's harder on red carpets. Obviously, interviews are easier. Of There's always that no-no list of these are the things you will not be talking to my client about that a lot of interviewers are given. And if you touch on those questions, it's, okay, we're done here. Or, oh, you can rephrase that. Otherwise, we're walking out. When you're doing things live on a red carpet, you don't have that luxury. So any question could be asked and would be asked because any journalist who's on this red carpet is not doing their job and not worth their salt if they're not asking the harder questions and the more prevalent questions. Right. So it is just a, a big old cornucopia of awful, awful options. <laughs> so I think Warner Brothers is handling this aspect of this the best they can. Again, should things have been addressed earlier on? Probably. Yeah. But again, I'm not in those rooms, so I don't know how you handle it. Even though I've been very, very bothered by how WB has handled everything going on, just because like, this has been a decades-long movie in the making, and all these things have just kind of snowballed. We found out more and more information along the way, or more and more things happened, more and more accusations came out. I kept waiting for WB to say something. This is a moment where I think having someone not say something makes the most sense. Yeah, it's almost like they had the opportunity. Now, for me, this goes back to before Warner Brothers changed hands, when yes. it was still under the ownership of AT&T. The time to get on top of all this was immediately. Absolutely. Like once it like and and I remember criticizing Warner Brothers pretty heavily that they were just playing the shh, let nobody, let's just not talk about it and maybe everybody will forget. Now, then after a certain amount of time passes, then you had the new ownership of Warner Brothers. You had the Discovery Group own it, and they inherited this problem. And, I, and, and at that point, I it had been an issue for almost a year at that point. And I was like, at this point, what can you say? It should have been addressed immediately when it came out, but it wasn't. And because it wasn't, Ezra just kept going on doing stupid thing after stupid thing after stupid thing. And... It's going to be interesting to see. You know, I've been saying this whole time, people asking me, how big is this movie going to open? And I've constantly said the same answer. 
I have no idea. Yeah. Like every movie that comes out, I have an idea or a guess about where it's going to happen. But with all the controversy, I literally have no idea. This movie could open to $150 million and I wouldn't be surprised. Or it could open to $40 million and I wouldn't be surprised. Like I honestly have no idea how people are going to react to this. Like whatsoever. And actually, Jonathan, before, when we were off camera, you actually said something about how the you thought maybe the way that Warner Brothers is going to handle this red carpet is maybe an indication about Ezra's future with Warner right. Brothers. What did you think about that? Well, yeah, I was thinking I was thinking it's kind of an indication where they're like, oh, we hear all this stuff that we don't necessarily agree with about working with him in the future, future iterations of the Flash, blah, blah, blah. But then they're not even letting him speak to press. He's apparently allowed to do the step and repeat photo op. Um, so that kind of tells me if you don't even want to be asked questions or you're afraid of what he may be asked or we're afraid of what he may say, I don't really think you're working with him in the future, at least not with a flash. Yeah, because if you're not going to let them be asked questions right now, you know they're going to be asked questions later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, that might be a part of that. All right, we're going to see how this all works out. Again, it's it's such a sh I mean, first of all, this whole situation is such a shame on so many different levels, but it's particularly a shame because Andy Muschietti made a really good movie. And it's too bad Ezra has to damage it the way Ezra has, especially considering Ezra gives a really good performance in it. Really does. All credit. All credit where it's due. Ezra does great, but it's a shame. Anyway, that down. Let's move on to some more conflict, Ooh. shall we? Woo, the writer's strike <laughs> is uh, now, what are we? We're getting into its uh, fifth week, sixth we're, week We're here? sixth. Because May 2nd is when the, the strike began, and we're now at June 8th. Uh, the writer's strike drags on. Now, the plot thickens. Of course, the other day, it got announced that the Directors Guild, who some people, myself included, thought that we were heading towards a writer's strike, director's strike, and actor's strike all at the same time. Well, I was a little bit surprised to find out the other day that the Directors Guild had reached an agreement with the AMPTP, the producers and studios. They reached an agreement and they are avoiding a strike. The full details of the agreement have not been made public. But yesterday, the report came out that the DGA leadership had ratified the thing. And now they're going to the, the deal that's been made. Now they're going to pass it on to the membership as a whole to vote on it where it's expected to be fully ratified and go into force. So that means WGA on strike, Directors Guild avoiding strike. That just leaves the actors. And what's going to happen with the actors? Now, the actors' current contract, and Chris, as a member of the Actors Union, correct me where I'm wrong, mm -hmm. the current agreement with the actors is still in force and, in, and valid till June 30th, I June believe. June 30th, yes. June 30th. So they've still got a number of weeks to get a deal hammered out. Yeah, we're trying to get those short films in real fast. Really quick. So <laughs> here's the thing, though. The directors, now the WGA and the, the producers... They were both yapping at the press while they were starting their negotiations. I mean, they were basically both trying to make their cases through the press. The Directors Guild and the AMPTP made an agreement to not talk to the press at all during their negotiations, and they got a deal done. And this morning, I read a report that said SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, your union, mm -hmm has reached a similar agreement with the producers to say, during our negotiations, neither of us are going to speak to the press. There's not gonna, So they agreed upon a press blackout, and they're going to do this quietly, they're going to do it behind closed doors, and that's where they're going to do it. So, again, you're the actors' union member here. Let me ask you this. I look at this from the outside, and I think to myself, 
I suddenly feel a little bit more optimistic that maybe the Actors Guild and the studios, I feel a little bit more optimistic they may be able to come to an agreement and come to a deal um, here. But I, I don't know. You heard about this. Concerning the WGA didn't have such an agreement to do it under radio silence. The directors did. Now the Screen Actors Union did. Why is this important and, and what could it mean, if anything? I do think it's so that we can properly negotiate without any antics around it. There's not a circus about it. I also think it's good optics for our union personally. I agree. I've brought it up before on the show during the writer's strike. Well, the ongoing writer's strike. Fran Drescher talked to people, talked to the media on the picket line, and she did not do well. Yep, not well. And nope, she not did good. not reflect the interests of most union members. I feel confident in saying that. And boy, howdy, did SAG-AFTRA just blow up on the on Twitter and everything. People were mad. People were angry about the things she was saying. So I think a lot of this, too, and is— And just for, so people, for listeners who don't know, Fran Drescher, uh, of course, is the nanny, but she's yes. also currently she's the president, president of, of the Screen Actors Guild. Yes, which is wild. And she was just <laughs> saying some things about how, you know, striking maybe wasn't for us and things like that that were, oh, oh, no, no, we have a lot of demands, Fran. We need to talk about this. So I think it's good for everybody to not have the media involved and let them be able to negotiate in peace with, you know, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, really, really talking to them about all of our needs regarding residuals, regarding AI and replication of our voices and our images um, so that they can get that all done and come to something that is amicable for everyone involved, hopefully. Because even though the DGA had this agreement and it went through for them, and even though historically, typically how the DGA negotiates has kind of been reflective of how SAG and the WGA moves forward, mm. both parties this year have been very, very clear in stating, hey, the deal they got, that might not be the deal that we want. Because you have unique, different needs than exactly. their union does. And again, we are one of the largest unions, two of these three. We are 160,000 members strong. Some of them didn't show up to vote. It was more than we usually have. I know I told you that harrowing 45% before. 27% yeah. voted the last time we had these kinds of contract negotiations. Wow. So we are at least climbing up. We are at least getting more people involved. Well, you guys have but more members than the Directors Guild and the Writers Guild combined. combined. There's so many of us. And there's so many people, too, who kind of just let their SAG stuff lapse almost. It's so hard to be a working actor. And it's really hard to be involved in the, the politics of this as well, too. There's constantly having webinars, Zooms, all kinds of things for us to get involved and know the inner world workings, which is great, but it happens when you're at your day job or it's happening when you're on set. So it can be a little difficult to stay involved on everything and know everything that's going on. That all being said, though, I'm, I'm optimistic that we do well. I can't speak for other actors right now, but it for me, it's been a, a, a storm this week. I have six auditions this week, which is amazing. It's very <laughs> exciting for me. But at the same time, it was, oh, this feels like a fire sale. Right. This feels like, <laughs> let's just get our cast in and film this as quickly as possible. So a lot of stuff filming before June 30th. So uh, hopefully we get everything sorted. But if we don't, I, I really am confident in in a strike because we do deserve to be paid for the work we do and and paid at the very least a livable wage and i think that's let what me, fighting let for. me ask you this obviously in any negotiations nobody gets everything they want yeah if you let's say you're part of the negotiating team let me ask you this for you what are the elements understanding you're not going to get everything that the, and the producers aren't going to get everything they want the actors aren't going to get everything they want. What are the things that you think are the elements in the negotiations that you guys must get? Like, understand we're not going to get everything we're asking for, but to you, from your perspective, what are the couple of things that you think these ones 
are deal breakers. These ones have to happen. What do you think? We absolutely need there to be transparency in the screening numbers. We need to know that. That's something so, all the all the unions are yeah, asking for. We really need that transparency so we know how many things are being streamed, how many times, so we can have accurate residuals. Now, I'm not asking for them to give us, you know, a huge percentage each time this happens, but one that makes sense because they're profiting off of every episode that's running and we're not. The way that you used to make a living as an actor truly was your residuals. I still get HBO residuals from last week tonight for something I was on years ago. And it's one of those things that just keeps you afloat so that you can do this because when you're auditioning, you're not being paid. You're prepping, you know, five pages worth of stuff. You're now filming everything yourself. You now have to be your cinematographer. You now have to be your own director. You're turning in all these things. You edit your stuff yourself. So there's a lot of work that happens before you even get to set just to get that job opportunity, right? It's not like other ones where you just throw on a button down from Express and hope that they like your resume. <laughs> like there, there's a couple yeah. other things involved sometimes here. Your whole job is auditioning. So those residuals really, really matter. The other thing here too is, and, and SAG itself is already making big waves on this for us. I know they just struck something with audiobooks in particular, but the idea of AI is particularly scary for us, particularly as someone who's a voice actor. Right. Mostly because a lot of times too, actors aren't just aren't educated on, on how our contracts are supposed to be. It's one of the things I spend the most time with my students is, you know, looking out for words like in perpetuity, looking out for words that are, are phrases that are like digital uh, recreations, things like that. Because you might skim something and go, oh, I'm getting a lot of money today. There are so many things right now on casting sites where you get a $10,000 payday and that sounds amazing. You've sold your voice to a company that's going to use it and butcher it and devil speak and spell it to use it for AI. Mm. So you'll get that one payday that sounds really, really great. And then your voice is theirs forever. Kind of like how Simu Leo did all of those um, those ads, all those images that are just sold now, oh, the, office, the stock images. The yeah. Ads, yeah, That's one of the concerns with AI and the digital like rectifying of people's voices is that it can be stolen to do that and, and not really even stolen. You might just sign something off and you've accidentally switched your voice away to somebody. Same with your likeness. We need to have hard and fast rules about being able to decide if you are one of those actors like a James Earl Jones, like the estate of James Dean, who wants their likeness to be used by other people and have their estate right off on that. So those are the two ones for me that are huge. All right, guys. Uh, it's it's a huge thing. Uh, again, I, I think it's an encouraging thing personally as an outsider, but I am an outsider seeing that Hey, they're starting off by being able to agree on something. Let's have a media blackout. That's that's a good way to start. I don't know. We'll see how this whole thing shakes out. All right, guys, listen, we still got a number of things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about potentially the end of the Miles Morales story. We're going to talk about low box office projections right now for Indiana Jones. We're going to talk about whether critics should even be talking about Ezra's controversy in their film reviews. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second and thank one of the sponsors of today's episode, our friends at Honey. Today's episode of The John Campy Show is brought to you by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. Guys, more and more, we enjoy shopping online, whether it's on our phones or our computers. And how many times have you gotten to the checkout and seen that promo code box and thought, man, if I only had a promo code, I could save some money. Well, thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. So here's the situation. You're shopping online on one of your favorite sites and when you go to checkout the honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons then just wait a few seconds as honey works its magic and searches for coupons it can find for that site that you're on and if honey finds working coupon 
just watch the price drop. Recently, Ann and I were hanging out at home one evening and we decided to order in and the honey button appeared. I was able to apply a coupon and I actually saved like six or seven bucks. It was that easy to use. And Honey doesn't just work on your desktop computer, it also works on your iPhone. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this show. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash campia. That's joinhoney.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Honey for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's talk about this. Uh, this is a, a topic that we did a video on earlier as a standalone, but, you know, I love, 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 love the the Spider-Verse movies. Into the Spider-Verse, I've said it before, movie I thought was going to suck, and it became like one of my favorite movies of the year. My, my, to be specific, my third favorite movie of 2018. Uh, only behind Black Klansman and uh quiet place other than that i thought it was the third best i thought it deserved to be nominated for best picture at the academy awards i really really do now across the spider-verse came out and i said now it does it's not going to be as good as into the spider-verse it's better couldn't believe that it's better and i might give up on the academy awards if this movie does not get nominated for best picture <laughs> like seriously I, at this point i'm just gonna say why don't you guys just admit that you've got a secret rule that no animated films could be nominated at, at that point but We'll see how that all goes. I love these. And I've been looking forward to watching Miles Morales, Spider-Man movies, whether they're called Spider-Verse or not, for the next 10 to 15 years. And why not? They're winning Academy Awards. They're making money at the box office. Not as much as they deserve to make, but they're making money. All that kind of stuff. Well, Lord and Miller have just made a comment that makes it sound like these movies are coming to an end after next year. In Beyond the Spider-Verse, Miller's quoted as saying this. Uh, this came from an article in Variety, but Miller has confirmed that Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse will be the final film in the trilogy, which, as I point out in the video, is odd wording. So you're saying the third film is the final film of a trilogy? Of course it is. Anyway, it says Mil Miller confirmed that Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse will be the final film of the trilogy. He said this. It is the end of the Miles Morales trilogy, and so this whole thing is working towards that, Miller said. That's it for us. We're so tired. <laughs> Which That's fair. <laughs> now, there's there's a couple of ways to interpret this, right? I, I mentioned earlier that the optimistic way of interpreting it is that, oh, no, this is just the end of this particular story. That's it. Just the end of this story. And then the next Miles Morales film will be the beginning of a new Miles Morales story. You know, he's moved on from whatever this Spider-Verse situation is. Now it's a new Miles Morales story. But... I'll be honest with you. To me, it doesn't sound like that. When Miller says, yeah, we've been working towards this whole thing. This is the final film. And he says, that's it for us. It sounds to me like he's saying, nah, this is the end of the line. We're going to do these three animated Miles Morales films and then we're done. Now, if that is what Lord and Miller are saying, there are two possibilities. Possibility number one is that Sony will continue to make these movies, but they'll do so now without Lord Miller. Lord Miller have set the template. They've set the tone of these movies. They, I remember Lord Miller did not direct across the Spider-Verse. Don't forget that. But, you know, they didn't direct them, so they'll, Sony will continue on with them. The other option, if Lord Miller are actually saying, this is it, we're done after Beyond the Spider-Verse, finished. 
The other option besides Sony continuing on without them is maybe this was Sony's plan to do three animated Miles Morales films and then make the transfer over to live action, which I think would be a horrendous mistake on their part. You Nothing can sink this franchise faster than, than doing a Morbius in live action. That'll sink this thing real quick. You can make these animated films for the next 20 years and win Academy Awards and be successful. You can try taking it over to live action. Okay. And you can easily squander it. But Or it could be a big hit. I don't know. So, Chris, let me throw it to you. You've heard what Lord Miller said. Do you interpret it as either A, no, 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 they're just saying this is the end of this story, and then they'll continue on. Do you interpret it as B, that, nope, this is it. Lord Miller's saying they're done. And if they are done, is it B, subsection <coughs> one, that Sony will continue on without them, or B, subsection two, that maybe they go live action, or is it just it? I don't know. What do you interpret this as? I hope, and this is my own inherent bias, that it's we're just pausing. This is the trilogy, and then we'll come back and do something else. But I understand if Lord Miller are done with this because they've done what they need to with this franchise. If they've gone, hey, we've done some really cool, amazing pushes with animation. We've told an incredible story. Now we got to go tell other stories elsewhere. I would totally, totally understand that if they didn't even want to be producers on it and remove themselves from it. That totally makes sense to me, and I can see that happening. I definitely don't think Stone Oni, though, would be like, and time to just move on from Miles Morales. Thank you for your time, sir. Bye-bye. No, they're going to keep doing this. I could see them trying to do the live action push. My hope would be that they then instead do some multiverse crossover moments of just having, you know, Miles pop up somewhere live action with Shemik Moore still playing him. And we all go, oh, hey. Hey, that's neat. And have a, a brief cameo of sorts or something like that. I really, really do love this franchise in animated form. One, because the the style of all of these different worlds and characters and everything is so intrinsically tied to Miles now in my mind and to his story directly. And I don't think you could do it justice in live action after seeing these beautiful worlds, these incredible fights, this just stunning use of like acrobatics and everything too everyone having such unique specific fighting styles that i think animation really makes sing and yeah. i think putting it in live action would really really take away a lot of that magic i don't know ray what do you think are they are they going to make more miles morales animated films after beyond the spider-verse you know this this i'm, I'm just going to assume the next beyond the spider-verse is just going to be as good as this one i'm just going to be under that assumption right because no reason not to i guess yeah, yeah because they made this beautiful movie that just came out is in theaters right now it's gonna it's i have no doubt that it's going to end really well i think they're probably just going to take a break i don't think it's going to involve lord and miller like chris said um we saw them at CinemaCon. they look tired their presentation they were very stressed if you if you listen to them they were under a rush. They didn't have anything to show us. They seemed very, very, very stressed and tired. So, yeah, we should give them a break. But I'm not sure about giving this this property to uh, anyone else. It's just I, I, even though they didn't direct this film, I, I believe they're the ones that like may have seen like uh, had a lot to do with. Well, what they're we the driving force the behind style. it. Yeah, they're the, the driving force behind things. it. Um, so, like, I, I don't want to see any continuation without them i hate to say it but but i'll i'll check out something that uh is under someone else's name i'll i'll, I'll see how it is but i don't think it'll be what we're seeing now without them is what i'm trying to say all right well 
I am uh, bummed out. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I've been, I want, I've been looking forward to watching these movies every couple of years for the next 10, 15 years, but we'll see how this will all kind of shake out. All right. With that down, let's take a moment here and go over and take today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. If you guys have a question or topic for our channel or the podcast that you'd like to hear us address and you'd like to hear your voice on our network, go ahead and call our Mint Mobile hotline anytime, 24-7 at 951-268-4259. And today's question has to do with the Flash and critics talking about Ezra Miller instead of the movie. Check it out. Um, good morning, John Campion crew. Pace Theophilus from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm really excited for the Flash movie. I've got my ticket and everything. Yesterday, the review embargo was lifted, and although the score wasn't what I expected, that was not my issue. When I tried reading some of the reviews, you always say we should learn how to separate the art from the artist. But well, most of the critic reviews were mostly based on Ezra Miller's behavior in the public rather than the actual movie. Now, I didn't really like this because it's like they are trying to use what he did to tarnish this movie. Thank you and have a good day. Bye. All right. Thanks a lot for calling that in. And, you know, I kind of touched on this a little bit the other day, but it, it bears repeating. Look, I have no problem, no problem at all with somebody who is like, you know, I've been so turned off by Ezra Miller over this. I don't have any interest in seeing this movie. That's that's fine. I, I would encourage people to say, remember, this isn't Ezra's movie. Ezra is one hired hand. Ezra is but one hired hand in this movie. This is Andy Muschietti's movie. But still, I would get it and I would spec, hey, listen, if, if that's going to be too much of a distraction for you and it's going to turn you off, absolutely, I get why you wouldn't want to watch the movie. 100% I get that. But But here's the thing, and... I didn't read as many reviews as our caller did. Like I, I read through a lot of reviews of the flash and there were a couple that seemed to really focus on Ezra Miller's off camera stuff and seemed to be reviewing the movie based on Ezra Miller's off camera antics. So our, our caller says they saw a lot. I read a lot of the reviews, only saw just a couple of them, but I agree that I have a problem when a film critic writing or recording their actual movie review does things other than reviewing the movie. Like I listen, if you follow my channel, you know, I've talked a lot about the Ezra Miller issue a lot. I think there's a lot to talk about. I think there are things that need to be said. I believe there are things that need to happen and it's totally cool to talk about it. But when it comes time to review the movie, it's now time to put that aside. You are supposed to be putting out what, in your estimation is how good, not good, and the merits thereof of this movie, not about what happened off screen. Now, listen, I don't mind if one of the film critics wants to say, you know, for some, it might be a stretch because of Ezra Miller's controversies, but blah, blah, blah. I, I don't mind that. That's fine. That's fine. But like one review I read from an outlet that I quite like going in about you know, as you think about Ezra doing this and Ezra doing this and Ezra doing this, you know, the the inauthenticity of this and this, because remember, again, as Ezra did this, it's like, at some point, are you going to review the movie? And are you going to review the movie on its own merits? And maybe you'll like the movie and maybe you won't. And that's completely fair. But I just think that for a film critic, when it comes time to review the movie, you got to leave the baggage at the door. 
and review the movie for what it is. Because I have no problem coming on my show and saying, Ezra Miller's got to go. And at the same time, when I'm reviewing the movie, saying, Ezra Miller did a fabulous job performing in the movie. Both are true. Right? Both are true. I have no problem saying both. Just, I I think critics, when giving a review, because viewers and readers and listeners are now going to hear, is the movie any good? And that's what they want to hear talked about. Right. But but at the same time, we're all human, right? And so, like, you know, we, those reviews, they, I, I could say they come from the right place. I mean, like, I mean, as in the feelings towards, we're all in agreement that what ha- has happened is wrong, you know? But um, maybe sometimes it's just hard for people to separate that, and, and then you see it. And then people who read that can, it's, or should be smart enough to know that, hey, I'm going to skip this review. I'll read another one that talks more about the movie. Sure, and, and I get that as an average viewer. These are professionals. But I don't give that much leeway to professionals. Oh, right, right. If I, this is your gig, right. and you have not yet developed the ability to focus on the merits of a film when talking about a film and and leaving other baggage out when you're doing the review, then maybe you're in the wrong gig. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, Chris. I mean, we... God, we've had too many discussions over the past couple of years about the whole mm-hmm. Ezra Miller situation. But, you know, pertaining wow. to what our, what our caller well, is asking about, I, I don't know. What's your what's your thought on this You're whole thing? Put it down right you now. Know, I, I, I've been reading some reviews and everything, too. And I actually think um, I don't read them too often, but the Daily Beast, uh, Allegra Frank did a, a review where she said something. That's really, one of the ones I read. Yeah. I loved what she said of, you know, the Ezra Miller thing has over shadowed this whole film and that's why it sometimes feels a little unethical uh why or what it is is which is why it feels ethically difficult to admit that the flash succeeds almost entirely on the strength of miller's performance mm. so there's somebody who's saying i i do not enjoy any of the things i'm reading about this person this performance is good these f- two things feel like they should not go together. Yeah. And, yeah. and I appreciate her stating that because I, I can completely understand that. Uh, this is a movie that I've been really not looking forward to seeing because of that. I really enjoy Michael Keaton. I really enjoy, you know, Andy Muschietti. I want to see Sasha Kale as Supergirl. I think Ezra Miller is a great actor. I think they've done really, really great stuff in the past. I'm not super jazzed about seeing this movie because we've talked about this so much and right. I'm just over it at this point. And I, it's, it's my least favorite thing. Thank you for everyone on the street. Who's like, let's talk about Ezra Miller. Please. Let's not, let's not go back to soup goop. That was fun. Loved that. So that was... I remember soup goop was so fun. Soup goop was great. Go back to telling me about that. Y'all that was wonderful. So I can understand that. A lot of the things I have read, though, I've been very, very pleased with critics being able to separate things, such as discussing, you know, they don't like the CGI or there have been a lot of comparisons to Spider-Verse. That's the biggest through line I've been seeing of a similar storyline is being told elsewhere. And I feel like I like that storyline more. Or, hey, this they did a great job with this. E-Man put out a great review, too, of saying, hey, this is a good movie. I don't want to get your hopes up, though, with all this. This is the best superhero Mm, movie ever because you're going to go into the theater, even if you are somebody who was really jazzed about The Flash and wants to see this. Having that expectation even could make this movie not as enjoyable for you. So I appreciate those kind of reviewers who are trying to have, you know, just take it for what it is and see it for what it is and everything. I'm going to do my best to do the same. Don't know how successful I'll be, but that's why they don't pay me the big bucks to write these things. So that's why you all listen to me on Spotify. See, I, I see. I think you're absolutely right. Like, and I, I, 
understand where you're coming from. The thing is, though, while it will be challenging for you watching when you watch The Flash because you have that, I have no doubt that were you then to have a responsibility to sit down and do a review of the movie. Oh, I'd call out my inherent bias. Yeah, but you would then just call it out. You yeah, would just and then talk about the other things. Talk about the movie yeah. based yeah. on the merits Some of the movie. Some people are not talking about any of it. Just that. Mm-hmm. So you're actually going to go see it, Chris? Um, I'm pretty I'll, sure I, I need to so uh, I can do this job. I have a feeling Logan probably wants to watch it because I know Logan enjoyed it. Surprisingly enjoyed it. He did not like the third act. Yeah, I th- I've never um, people said a lot that. Of people's complaints. And, and the, his thing for me was, you're not going to have a problem with Ezra Miller, I don't think, in this movie. You're going to have a problem with the mechanics of how this works. And you're not <clears> going to think certain people are utilized well. When, oh, okay. All right. So. I'm interested to see how that pans but out. I watched I like some a lot of his reenacting Doe, so. of the movie for you, and I thought, wow, he's, he's got some enthusiasm <laughs> in this. Right. Still always auditioning for Barry Allen, you know? Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting <laughs> about that. All right, guys, we got one more thing to talk about here. So l- let's talk about this. You know, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny was one of the films that I earlier thought could have been one of the bigger films of the year. I thought it had potential to maybe even be a billion-dollar film. I, I wasn't calling that it would make a billion dollars, but I thought it had the potential to be so. I even thought it had the potential to be like a $125, $150 million opening because for a long time, after the first trailer came out, when I would go into movie theaters and that trailer would play, always, that would be the trailer that got the biggest pop from whatever audience I was sitting in, was that Indiana Jones trailer. So I thought, big things lieth ahead for Indiana <laughs> Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Disney felt and Lucasfilm felt so confident, they decided to take this movie to the Cannes Film Festival, which is notoriously can be rough, but they believed in it so much. They thought, you know what? People are going to love this. They're gonna, we're going to get the early word of buzz. We're going to get everybody hyped. Everybody's going to snowball this into a big, big opening weekend. Well, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And they got <laughs> punched in the mouth in France as the critic rating coming out of the Cannes Film Festival was 50%. Half the critics didn't like it. And the ones that did were mild in their appreciation for the film, right? I, I didn't personally read any reviews coming out of Cannes saying, this is the Indiana Jones movie we've been waiting for. I mean, a lot of them said, hey, it's better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But I mean, that's not saying a lot. That's like saying, hey, I ate this rotten egg and it was better than that pile of poop. I mean, that's okay. That's I, is that that's good. Is that good? I'm not sure. So those are the only teachers. It had hurt them. And listen to anybody who thinks erroneous. I always get, I just laugh now at people when I hear critic reviews don't influence anything. Yeah, they do. It, they, they objectively statistically do. And this is one of those cases that really proves that because the narrative around this film and the buzz about how big it could be prior to can to now it's totally changed. All of a sudden, breaths of optimism have been changed into breaths of skepticism and all that kind of stuff. And now, according to Deadline, the opening weekend projections have come out. Now, remember, Little Mermaid, on its three-day weekend, made $95 million on its opening weekend. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse made $120 million. Deadline is saying Indiana Jones is going to make 60 opening weekend. This is what they wrote. In the wake of the world of world premiering in Cannes to lackluster film reviews at sub 50%, uh, Disney and Lucasfilm's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is currently looking at a $60 million domestic opening. 
The movie opens on June 30th, heading into what is conceivably a five-day weekend, given the Independence Day falls on the Tuesday. The Dial of Destiny's three-day estimate of $60 million is down from the $100 million that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull made on its opening three-day weekend. Mm. Not good. (laughs) This could be a disaster. That's bad news for the studios, right? Obviously. Oh, for sure. But me being one movie into Indiana Jones, I just want a good movie. Have you read any reviews from anybody who has not seen any Indiana Jones at all? No, of course not. Oh. Anybody anybody who is a film critic for a living has oh, seen okay. the Indiana Jones movie. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so so no. I love this movie. I'm a film critic credentialed at Cannes Film Festival. Never seen an Indiana Jones <laughs> Probably not many of those well, out there. You know, good for me then. <laughs> <Can> you, yeah, <laughs> because you, I might love this movie, and that's all I'm, that matters to me. Yeah. Love of one. Right, right. I mean, uh, listen, I they showed us like 15 minutes of it, of the movie at uh, CinemaCon. Yeah. And I liked what they showed us. I mean, it wasn't the best footage we saw at CinemaCon, but I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. Classic Indiana Jones romping around. Very classic Indiana Jones, right? But, I I mean, I don't know, Chris, you're hearing them saying a $60 million, half of what Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse opened to, a third less than what Little Mermaid opened to. I I don't know. What are you thinking? Ooh, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> Although when I was looking at these, you know, my husband's like, "Hey, they're saying it's better than uh, Crystal Skull, so it's gonna be really good." Because Logan That's loves your husband Crystal loves Crystal Skull. Oh, he made everyone watch it recently, and then went, "You know, it does kind of fall apart." But I think we all still had fun. We didn't. We didn't, didn't. have fun. No, no. This is not great. I think. I think people will still go see that. If you love Indiana Jones, you're still going to go see this. I don't think this will sway you because you'll still give Indy a chance. And, you know, it can. Harrison Ford got a standing ovation. The film itself did not. (laughs) I think I think that there's still hope for those diehard indie fans to go out there and see this. I'm not jazzed that the reviews so far have been. It's better than Crystal Skull. That doesn't give me a lot of hope. That really bums me out. But maybe this will turn around. Maybe word of mouth will get out. Maybe a whole bunch of dads are going to be really thrilled to see Harrison Ford on that screen living what they want to be doing. I know mine's really excited. My dad, this is like his most anticipated film of the year. So I, I mean, know, I predict maybe. a big pop and then a big second weekend drop. Yeah. I Well, I mean, they they're saying 60 game. million opening. See, and like you just mentioned that you weren't sure if this is going to sway anybody one way or the other. I, I don't know that that's true because I honestly believe if this film premiered at Cannes and they all came out saying Indiana Jones is back. If all the reviews coming out of that was like Indiana Jones is back, you know, it's it's we got the proper send off for Indy with the fedora and the whip and all that kind of if that were true, I honestly 100 percent believe we would be seeing north of a hundred million dollar opening this weekend. Yeah. And do if it does you're... open to 60 something, that means a lot of people did have their minds changed. Well, you're diehard. I dress up as Indiana Jones every Halloween kind of guy, though. True. But how Will many of those are there? I don't know. A handful. Maybe there's more a... than I thought. There's a smattering. <laughs> there's a smattering of people who are like, yes, that's my thing. <laughs> I'll yeah. require the Cinemark Theater if I want. Yeah, I want that for that. That what's it called? The X no XD the, the XD, XD Theater, whatever it is. That was a great theater. Over yeah, there, it's Cinemark. a great theater. All right, 
Guys, with all that down, we are now going to move over and take questions from our YouTube channel members and hear about the topics and questions that they would like us to discuss. Now, before we do, though, we're going to take another quick moment to thank a couple of other sponsors of today's episodes. My mobile service provider, Mint Mobile, and Indiana Jones would be doing a lot better adventuring if his balls were cleanly shaved, thanks to our friends at Manscaped. Uh-oh, Father's Day is right around the corner and you haven't gotten your dad anything yet? Don't worry. That's where our sponsors, Manscaped, come in. You and I both know he needs some serious grooming in his life, so grab your dad the Performance Package 4.0 and he'll thank you for helping him tame that beastly hair. Go to manscaped.com and use code CAMPIA for 20% off plus free shipping. Guys, I don't know if your dad's anything like mine, but where my dad lacks some hair on top of his head, believe me, he makes up for it everywhere else on his body and Manscaped is perfect for him. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming and perfected their game with the Lawnmower 4.0. This is the perfect gift, presenting a sleek, well-designed, and optimized grooming kit that says your balls will thank you right on the box. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. This upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. This is great for any guy who does a lot of traveling. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Haven't you always wanted to be able to shave your balls in the dark? And come on guys, almost all of our dads have that nose bush sticking out of their nose, right? Well, the Weed Whacker 2.0, the nose and ear hair trimmer, is the best nose trimmer on the market and the perfect gift for your dad. Guys, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code CAMPIA. Don't forget, you came from your dad's balls, so this year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people looking Looking for extra savings this year? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Manscaped and Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Camp Show. Remember, guys, when you go and check out and support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you go down into the description, you'll find links and promo codes to all of today's sponsors. And thank you again to Manscaped, Honey, and of course, Mint Mobile. All right, guys, with that down, let's get over to our channel members' questions. Again, remember, we do have a YouTube channel, and over there, you can become a channel member. We'd love it if you did. And let's go over and get those questions that our channel members have sent in. Now, Chris, what do we got? First one's from CJ Rebirth. Fun fact, the actress who plays Ramona's ex-girlfriend in the Scott Pilgrim movie is also the voice of Katara in the last Airbender series and was the president's daughter in Independence Day. That is correct. That is Mae Whitman. 
Oh, what else has Mae Whitman done? Because I really liked her in she, uh, Scott Pilgrim. She's great in that. Um, she uh, she does a lot of voice acting work. She just did The Owl House. She has a show on Hulu, I want to say, with the actor who played Cisco on The Flash. Um, and it's a kind of rom-com musical that's okay. going on. And then she was in a sh another show for a while, some kind of like family drama show. Um, I can't remember. She's a great actress, though. I remember. I mean, I know she didn't do the actual singing, mm -hmm. but her song that th that her and her band sing in Scott Pilgrim was my favorite oh. song in the show. The, um, was it Love Out of Space? Do you, what's it called? Oh, I don't know. I thought you meant Love Bobomb or whatever. No, 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 no. Because no. she's like the she's. Um, Oh, oh that's right. That's right. She's the uh, the competing. I was thinking of Scott's ex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're thinking of the part that Brie Larson played. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I was where she of. covered a metric song, Black I, Sheep. Metric. That's yeah. the that. Oh, I love that song. It's so, so much. good. And Brie's cover is amazing. All right. What's next? From Josh Becker, Ray, how hyped were you during that one Bumblebee scene? So good. There are many bumblebee scenes. That one, though. Without spoilers. Are you talking about yeah. the, yeah, the, the. Maybe the one where uh, the um, LL Cool J song starts playing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know which one. I love that. I love that scene. I got it, hyped it, in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was hyped. Again, we got to be careful not to give <laughs> yeah. any spoilers away. I just can't say too much, yeah. but yeah, I, I agree. Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> I love that song. Okay, what's next? From, oh, oh who's sorry, the just scroll. Cody Hunt. Happy 30th anniversary to Jurassic Park. The movie changed my life. It's the reason why I became a filmmaker. Wow. Lost World was the first movie I saw in a theater when I was five years old. Aw. Wow. Wait, does, does Jurassic Park turn 30 this year? Apparently. Uh, well, no. I think he's talking about... Is it Lost World? That... Because that was 92, so it's actually 31, wouldn't it be? Maybe. Yeah. Was it 92 that Jurassic Park came out? I'm going to look it up. I'm terrible with movie dates. Yeah, now I'm completely lost. All right, what's next? <laughs> From Aaron Epstein, has there ever been a crossover in movies involving two different studios? I can't think of one off the top of my head. It, it, the only one I could think of that might be one example of that was Freddy versus Jason. Now I can't remember if they were if they were two different studios or not, though. But that's the only one that I can kind of think of. Now listen, there have been many um, cross studio collaborations for movies but when you're talking about crossovers of existing ips then doing a crossover the only one that i can think of off the top of my head and again this is just me off the top of my head is, is maybe freddy versus jason but i can't think of another one who framed roger Raj rabbit because you had looney tunes characters and disney characters so yeah but was WB that really and... across because like lego movie right they had oh that's fair so was that really a crossover like that's not alien versus predator yeah. right it's so I don't know. Good question, though. Great yeah. question. And yes, it was 93 for Jurassic Park. It was 93, so it oh. is the 30th anniversary. Yeah, they're, they're doing a bunch of releases, like 4K releases of the movie for the 30th anniversary. Updates for all the video games that include some sort of Easter eggs with uh, Jurassic Park. So Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and see that on the big screen. Man, again. Jeff Goldblum made an impression on me when I was way too young. <laughs> oh. All right, what's next? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, the Everything Entertainment Network. Should we leave you alone? <laughs> <laughs> Which is, well, we really determined my type very early on in life. Of, I like that. That's what I would like. Of the Everything oh Entertainment God. Network. The Tonys are using no pre-scripted segments on Sunday due to the writer strike. If it goes over well, do you think the Oscars and Emmys producers might take notice? I, I, no. Do 
do this. I say this as somebody who loves theater. Do the Tonys get the same kind of views? And yeah. even the Emmys and the Oscars don't get great numbers a lot of times. Well, I mean, look, the Oscars, even on bad years for the Oscars, they are pretty consistently the number two biggest viewed event in North American television, mm-hmm. only behind the Super, the Super Bowl. Bowl. The Emmys, though, are is that? Emmys, not as particularly much. Particularly a big streamer? But mm-hmm. I, I would say no. I, I mean, look, if the Oscars come around and there's still a writer's strike, well, the industry is dead. If there's still a writer's strike by the time the Oscars come around in February, yeah. Um, then, then, yeah, I'm sure they would do that. But I... No, I. If they do no pre-scripted, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, it'll be an utter disaster. You're going to have a lot of Adele disease uh, going on if there's uh... people are going to be wandering the aisles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's next? From Callum. Hey crew, have you seen that? There's rumors of Beyond the Spider Verse could be delayed a bit more. I sure hope that doesn't happen. Can't wait any longer. Hello. Yeah, I can tell you right now that's all bullshit. And, and you know, want to know where where this is where that rumor came from. It came from on during an interview, Haley Steinfeld said that she hasn't recorded her vocal part yet for Beyond the Spider-Verse, a movie that doesn't come out for almost a year. And from that, people go, oh, my gosh, remember, we are not talking about actors on set that are required to be on set for four or five months to shoot a movie or anything like that. They very probably uh, I got told the other day, you can tell me if this is right or wrong. I got told the other day that sometimes in an animated movie <coughs> where a big star is going to be doing a voice, they literally get a temp voice actor to do a lot of the lines mm-hmm. so the animators can do everything. And then they bring in the big star so they can keep them there for two or three days as opposed to two or three weeks yeah, it's or called months. Yeah, called Scratch VO. Yeah, so um, I can absolutely 1,000% guarantee you, unless Chris completely contradicts me here, because she would know way better than I would, that the fact that Haley has not recorded her stuff yet in no way means this movie is delayed whatsoever. And that's the only reason that rumor is going around. So I don't know, Chris, how would you address this? We are one of the final pieces in an animated film. It's not like back in the day when things were a lot more traditional 2D animation too, where they would kind of draw off of your likeness. You know, we used to have those uh, behind the scenes with Disney on VHS and DVD where they'd show you the actor in the booth and artists watching video, drawing everything around them and drawing, you know, using their mouths and everything to see when they'd be speaking. We do the inverse of that a lot of times now where a lot of the stuff is already done and then things are just kind of zhuzhed around to make the actor and the actual animation sync up a bit more so if i were to ask you at what point they in the process here let's say okay so beyond the spider verse is supposed to come out may 2024 at what point would you hear Haley say i haven't recorded my part yet that you would be worried about the release date Ooh. like one month before the movie two months before the movie like three months before honestly so just three months so, so, you, so we're still like seven months away from yeah. having to worry about it yeah just because then also you have time in case you have to do re-records or anything like that right okay so yeah. yeah so guys this this whole rumor going around remember was all based on the fact that Haley says she hasn't recorded voice yet and there's no reason to believe why she would have recorded her voice at this point. So don't believe that. Now, by the way, that's not me saying that this movie will 100% not be delayed. I mean, anything could delay it. The Sony PR people may decide, you know what? July will be a better release date for us financially. That might happen, but no, it has nothing to do with this right now. All right, what's next? From GT86Ben, if you zoom in on the picture Anthony Mackie shared of himself and Harrison Ford on set, you can see that Ford's pants are torn and tattered around the knees, reminiscent of after someone hulks out. Mm. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I think that's reading into it because in that picture, you also see Sam's costume is very scuffed and all that kind of stuff. All that tells me is that 
They were just, and it was outside. I mean, they could have just been in a Humvee that blew up or it could have been everything. Remember, he's also wearing a shirt. So, uh, I mean, yes. This Hulk, it's only his legs. Yeah, it's only his legs. Yeah, it's only, it's only his, his legs. That's it. <laughs> Big old just legs. Hulk legs. Body. He did never, Harrison never skips Thigh day. Um, I wouldn't read into it. I think it just means they're just, they just did an action sequence, <laughs> but so I don't think we're about to see Red Hulk. All right, what's next? From, oh, can we scroll a little bit? Thank you, Joe Hawkins. Hi, Can't Be a Crew. Is the Fast X digital release tomorrow only a domestic <clears> release? <throat> only ask because I can't see any PVOD listings in the UK for Fast X. Thanks, guys, and bring on the filthy. No, I'm not really sure, to be honest, because I don't really care when a movie comes out on home video normally. But, yeah, uh, tomorrow, Fast X, Universal expedited the release of this to home video because, well, Fast X is going to lose money in the theaters. And we got Fast X is literally going to be available to purchase digitally tomorrow, at least in North America. Um, so whether that's going to be a global thing or not, I'm not sure. Uh, no idea, to be honest with you, but we'll keep our eye on it. All right, what's next? I'm Dr. Stinky. Hey, John and crew. I saw Transformers <laughs> last night, and I am happy to report I loved it. Nice. My father got me into movies at a young age. The two franchises he got me into were Transformers and Star Wars. He later that's passed good away. parenting. Yeah. He later passed away three years ago. He would have loved this film, as I did. The story was generic, and the dialogue was corny, but the action is so good. And that's all a Transformers fan needs. Bring on the filthy. I All I need to make my life complete is Optimus Prime to say, I will end you. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Go get him, Optimus. Damn right. I, I often said, like, it's from a kid, the age of a kid. This is how influential uh, Peter Cullen and the voice of Optimus Prime is to me. Optimus Prime could come to me as, as a child and say, John, you need to murder your neighbors. I'd say, yes, Optimus, whatever you say, Optimus, because it's Optimus. I, I, I love Optimus Prime. I love Optimus in this movie. And uh, oh, boy, yeah. yeah, again, and I agree. It is no Pulitzer Prize winning movie. It has a lot of weaknesses, and I totally get why people who don't like it don't like it. Going to get no arguments from me, but I had a good time, too. All right. What is next? I'm coming in this office strapped tomorrow. <laughs> hey, anyone at Cinemark, uh, what chair were you in? <laughs> from Ian A. Barth, Spider-Verse was my most anticipated movie of the year. Now that's passed, Oppenheimer takes the next slot for me. What's your most anticipated movie for the rest of the year? Uh, Dune 2. Easily doomed to. And and I am super excited for Oppenheimer. There's a number of upcoming films that I'm very, very excited about. But yeah, this year for me, the top two most anticipated movies of the year for me have been Spider-Verse and Dune 2. And uh, that's what I, I love, love, love the first Dune. Won the most Academy Awards the year. It was out, won six Academy Awards. I cannot wait to see the conclusion. This is where the story really picks up. And I thought the first one was brilliant. So Dune 2. What about you, Ray? What's what's your most anticipated movie now coming out? In the near future, probably seeing The Flash again, but Oppenheimer, I agree. Yeah. Oppenheimer and Barbie for some yes. reason. I wasn't excited about Barbie until CinemaCon. They showed us all that stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm like, color me pink. So excited about What about, about you, Barbie. Jonathan? You got a movie you, got, you would say is your most anticipated for the rest of the Just year? Just for the recency, because it's coming out next, would be The Flash. Ultimately, I will probably go Dune 2. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Chris? 
Barbie and Oppenheimer. Barbie. Mm-hmm. The double feature we deserve. Ah, uh, so exciting. Good times. <laughs> All right, what's next? Yeah. <laughs> Great crossover. From uh, Marla Jehovah. Hi, Campia Crew. It's going on 13 years. I've been rocking with you, John. Wow. Do you remember what you did to finally get Ray on camera? And Ray, do you now regret not getting on sooner? Bring on the filthy. Yeah, uh, I mean, I listen, for, for many years... <laughs> I try to convince Ray just to get on camera. And, you know, listen, Ray is not a film expert. No, I'm not. Um, but Ray is one of the best personalities. Ray's I've... the funniest person. Yeah. Ray is, is the funniest guy I know and just has the, a larger than life personality. And I've always felt that, you know, I, I would never bring you notice when we're doing the show, like. Nine times out of ten, I'll give uh, some perspective, and then I'll go Chris, you know, because Chris is more of an, an yeah, interesting person. Yeah, Chris is the knowledge but right here. I like to go to Ray once in a while for a couple of reasons. One, because he more represents the everyday film fan that, than <laughs> yeah. most than anybody else here. But also, two, because I just, I just love hearing Ray's perspective on things. I just do. <laughs> so we don't go to him every issue or every topic. We never have. But, I mean... What, what? But, and I, but, it, but Ray never wanted to be on camera at yeah. all. And it took me a while to convince you. I think it was when you, because you started doing the show by yourself. And yeah. like you, you needed somebody. To I, like, I remember, yeah, I, came, I just need somebody to bounce off of, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just I sat in thinking it'll just be until, and then I just stayed on. That's it. And that's when Chef Pleasures was born. Oh, yeah. Let's <laughs> go to Brazil, baby. <laughs> that's connected to something else. All right, what's next? From Justin Welsh, hey crew, an idea here. In terms of the recent discussions about Netflix and how they give a percentage of just like and not of just like and not of critics, do you think they should go a step further and give another tier to their percentages? Let's say a percentage of those who love the film, five out of five, or highly praise, those who are like, meh, it's all right, three out of five, and those who truly think the film is not good. Um, when you say discussion about Netflix, I think you probably meant discussion about Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I'm guessing is what you uh, what you meant. Um, no, no, I love the purity of the way they break that down on Rotten Tomatoes because I don't care when I'm going and looking at a rating uh, at a percentage. I'm just looking to see how many of them liked it. That's all. I, I prefer the purity of a yeah, I liked it. No, I didn't like it. I, I'm not as concerned about, I liked it and I think it's the greatest thing ever because I just want to get a sense of, you know, what are the chances if you get all these film critics who are so different from each other and they all have wildly different tastes. Again, just look at Transformers. Half the critics like it, half the critics don't. Like They have wildly different opinions and wildly different tastes and wildly different backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. And if I can load up a movie like Spider-Verse and see... Oh my God, 95% out of all these people who with wildly different tastes and backgrounds and preferences and 95% of them like it, that's the number I want to see. I I don't want to see it get more muddled with, because, you know, I go to Metacritic and see Metacritic does uh, a median score, right? Well, this critic said, gave it a, a 90. This critic gave it 100. That means the median score is 95. That to me is not as informative. Because you can get three critics see something, two of them give it a 49, and one gives it a 100, and the average score is going to be like 70-something or, or 60-something. Don't make me do math in my head. Even though two of them didn't like it, and one did. 
So for me personally, and I've had this debate all the time, and I don't care. I'm sticking with this. I really believe this. I love the purity of the simplies. Tell us, did you like it or did you not like it? And don't worry about the 50 shades of gray in between. That's just, that's just me. All right. What's next? From Blake Mason, what are your box office predictions for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? My Filipino wife and I already have our IMAX tickets. Ah. Ah, the Filipino wife. Yeah. Going today. No, day no, theater. that's what they don't, they don't sound like that. If <laughs> they do, do, you might not have a wife. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a Joy Coy, Joe yeah, Coy yeah. get bit, by the way, for those who don't know. But I, again, we were just talking about it there. I mean, Deadline is projecting 60 million. And it's not a type of movie that would make much, like, you don't see it making more money overseas, right? This type, uh, has Indiana done well? I'd have to go back and look at the history of it. I'm not really uh, sure. But but look, most movies follow, 90% of movies follow a certain pattern. Like what we're seeing happen with Little Mermaid and what we're seeing happen with Across the Spider-Verse, where these movies are doing really well in North America, but not well overseas. That's the minority of times that that happens. Normally, there's a certain pattern that they follow. So I don't know. I mean, not as good as we originally kind of hoped it would. Uh, All right. One uh, last question today. What's next? From Dildar the Glorious. <laughs> when or if the Ray movie comes out, would it technically be Star Wars Episode 10 since it's moving the story forward? I don't think so. I mean, it all depends on how they want to position it. My guess it would not be. And, and I do think they should do Star Wars Episode 10, 11, and 12 with a brand new... When you do that, though, I think it needs to be with a brand new cast of characters. And in a brand new era, maybe 100 years after Ray or something like that. Um but I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I believe that this movie is going to happen. I, I really don't. Uh, once Kathleen Kennedy goes, and I think that'll be before the end of the year. I, I've been saying for a while now that I believe a few months after Indiana Jones comes out, maybe it's two months, maybe it's five months, whatever, uh, that they were going to let Kathleen Kennedy kind of have her curtain bow with Indiana Jones, which doesn't sound like it's going to be much of a curtain bow now, but uh, that she'll be gone. And I think once she's gone and out of there, I think we'll hear shortly after that Either that the Ray movie isn't happening or we're going to stop hearing about the Ray movie and it'll just be like a year or two from now we'll be going, hey, whatever happened to that Ray movie? Ah, they decided not to do it. I I don't personally believe it's going to happen. I'm not saying it won't. It's possible it could. But if I had to bet five bucks, I'm betting five bucks that it's not even going to (laughs) happen. All right, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campion Show podcast, thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all of our channel members for sending in those questions. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, by being channel members, you're supporting our channel. So thank you guys so very much for that. Hey guys, just a couple of reminders of some things. Down in the description, you'll find a link to our newsletter. We put out a newsletter for the John Campus Show every single day, giving you guys some updates, letting you know the types of topics we'll be discussing that day, some announcements, a little blurb by me as well. That goes out to all your inboxes if you go and subscribe. Go check out the link below and give it a shot. Also, going to let you guys know that, uh, yeah, tomorrow's John Campus Show podcast is going to be recorded from Las Vegas. Uh, and I'm going to be doing it solo. Uh, Anne's been gone all week. I can't go that long without seeing her. She's flying into Vegas tomorrow, so I'm going to drive out there tonight to meet her. Aww. So that's where the show's going to be done tomorrow. So I hope you guys will join me for that. So for everybody in the room, Ray Aura, hey. Jonathan Voico, Chris Carr, Me. my name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.